Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, joining you once again with my partner in crime, Emma Leonis. Ems, you all right? I'm all right, thanks. Crime mate? Yep, I'm good. Crime mate? <laughs> we go... Crime mate. Uh, I like crime, it. crime mate, you know. You could have called me a criminal mastermind, but all I am is just a crime mate. It's like three rungs down the ladder of criminality uh, that you've gone for there. I'm just a, I'm a crime admin assistant. It's really, really good to uh, to spend a bit of time with you as always, Ems, but you are not the star of the show, um, unfortunately. No. The star of the show is uh, our guest today, and that is Nelson Sivillingham, who um, is the CEO of How Now. Nelson, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Nelson's the criminal mastermind, Chris. He's the criminal mastermind. <laughs> He's going to keep us in check for the next time. Right. And Nelson, before we dive into, so this is, we're right at the beginning of 2021. Uh, Ems and I wanted to get a bit of a general sort of Predictatron 3000 from a how now perspective, where you talk to us about what you think is going to be happening in the market um, over the next sort of year, few years from an L&D perspective. Before we go delve, delve into that, though, I'm going to let Emma fire the first question your way, but I'm going to get in, in there with my first, which is on your LinkedIn profile, it says performance development strategist and filmmaker. So I want to know if you're the next Steven Spielberg and what's the filmmaker part? For our, guests, for our audience <laughs> listeners. So, so that's where it all started, Chris, was, was making film. So when we set out the first business we ever started, me and my co-founder, who's also my brother, was a production company. And so we wanted to make films. We started off making documentaries, music videos, then started making short films for British Film Council, etc. Then we made a feature film, which we got into festivals and, and cinemas. So the first ever non-film business we started was actually to make money so we can produce our own films. <laughs> and then, you know, long story short, we got sucked into that business. We enjoyed it a lot more than we thought. Then one business to another business, we're still here. But one day, the dream is we'll, we'll go back to making films. You want to go and live in Hollywood, don't you? That's it. You want to just be we feel on we've Venice Beach. We've got a pretty good industry over here, Chris, so we think we can we can do good films from over here. I love it. I love it. Brilliant. But we're not here to talk about Hollywood, uh, the UK film industry and all of that jazz. We're here to talk about sort of predictions for this year. I've done far too much talking. We're about four minutes into this podcast. I need to bring Ems in so that she can fire some questions at you. So Ems, give us give us your take and give us some thoughts and uh, let's, let's let's hit Nelson with some some questions, shall we? I'm I so want to explore the filmmaker side, but I know you'll never forgive me if I do. <laughs> um, so Nelson, obviously you and I caught up quite regularly, actually, thinking about kind of the, the year ahead and, and lessons learned from last year and some of the things that we're seeing in the market. And I, mean, I definitely noticed over the past year or so, so much more of a trend thinking about learning, talent, what that means for skills, how you digitise that. And that was obviously on the radar before, but I think the past year has pushed some of that conversation way further up the priority list than perhaps it was. So I guess with so much going on, I'd be really curious for your perspective on what you see as perhaps one or two of the biggest opportunities for L&D or, or talent leaders right now. And that could be technology, that could be strategy, skills. You know, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I guess there's a bit of survivor guilt for us, Emma, because 
we've we've done all right post-COVID because you know people learning and digital learning as well as the kind of broader conversation about upskilling and reskilling is is back on the agenda and moved up in priority and to a large degree, COVID has expedited and given a bit more urgency to that conversation. Um, on a practical level, you know, you've got companies who are, some companies who are probably 100% dependent on classroom training to deliver any kind of L&D offering. And overnight, 100% of that training now is, is gone. And so they had to figure out a way. Some companies were probably quick to move, whereas others probably thought once lockdown one is over, we'll be back in the office in, in no time. But you know, now almost a year on, I think companies have realized, no, we need a kind of longer term sustainable view on how we're going to support learning for a distributed workforce. And I think that opens up a whole bunch of opportunities, not just within workplace learning, but even if you look at the wider ed tech market is exploding, you know, universities are stuck, schools are stuck. So you now is the opportunity to look at how can we bring in technology that's going to enable learning regardless of where people are, are based. And um, that's one kind of shift, which has kind of opened up new opportunities within what workplace learning would look like moving forward. The other one is, is like I mentioned earlier, the kind of narrative around upskilling and reskilling. Uh, and I think that's almost that conversation is now being owned by business and business leaders. Whereas before, I think L&D were trying to shift gears into more kind of talking about skills as the currency of work. But I think now business leaders have taken it upon themselves to question, okay, some companies have had to lay off people, in which case there is even more of a focus in terms of do the people we keep have the skills that we need? Um, and there's a conversation now of a rising unemployment rate, which means are these people who are unemployed, do they have the skills to get another job? So what does the offboarding look like? Um, how do we reskill this population to get them back into to new roles and new, uh, new jobs? That opens up a huge opportunity around how we approach upskilling and reskilling uh, moving forward. So I think yeah, with recent events, there are probably a couple of the things that have triggered opportunities. Can I ask a question then on that last bit, and particularly the offboarding that you mentioned? So I used to work for a large global corporate recruitment agency who had one part of his business, which was all around outplacement. But I'll be completely honest with you, we didn't really hear too much about the outplacement. Now, we are talking about a good 10 years ago, to be fair. Do you see that businesses, because of what's happened in the last year or so, because of the global pandemic, we've got more businesses that are being encouraged to be a little bit more caring of their employees. And even those that they can't then find work for, that they then might need to be, to be outplacing. Do you, are you seeing a rise in these businesses that are saying, look, we haven't got a job for you anymore, but we can help you, train you and reskill you as we're exiting you from the business. Is that happening more or have you not seen any difference? I wanted to get just a general take of you from that perspective. Yeah, I absolutely think it's happening more. I, I would say now pretty much most of the organisations of a kind of mid-market enterprise level are doing effective onboarding campaigns and it's great to see more and more companies doing it whereas if you'd asked me this you know five years ago I, I hardly came across uh, this unless you're a really large kind of enterprise and I think it is there is an element where it contributes to the wider employer brand um, and and also 
you know, the, the alumni network of an organization is, is a good pool of people to be driving recruitment and referral recruitment, et cetera. Um, and so it works and it pays dividends in that sense as well to, to make sure uh, you are supporting people during that offboarding period. So yeah, it's definitely gone up. And I think yet again, something that I think COVID has expedited and really brought attention to is find the circumstances mean you have to let people go, but how do we do it the right way and give people the support they need? And, and we're, we're seeing that a lot. And I just wanted to go back now to something you said, which sort of struck a chord with me about the conversation now being owned much more by business leaders and skills being the currency of work. I mean, that is a phrase, the current skills of being currency of work, that HR and LND, I kind of class HR and LND one and the same, um, have used for quite a long time now. So I'm curious as to whether you think it's, that dialogue now is more in the business mind because of what's happened over the past year, or is it perhaps actually that the business is now really starting to see the tangible return on investment of investing in skills, or is it a blend of both? Wow, that, that, that's a layered question there, I and mean, we, we'd have to take <laughs> apart. But you know, if you take HR in general, but definitely within LD, there's a common challenge of being viewed as a, as a cost center. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a lot of the times the narrative that we're trying to change is, is, you know, at the very least it should be a value center, but actually if you're doing it right, it should be a profit center. And what, what does that look like? And, and what do you need to do to go through that kind of transformation from a uh, cost center to, to a profit center? And when you kind of look at that, it does come back to, our HR and NLE communicating the value of what they're doing, you know, uh, are, are they shouting about it enough? But also, are they measuring the mm -hmm. right impact metrics to be able to demonstrate their value? And, and I think from an L&D perspective, this is where a lot of the times they get stuck is you almost revert back to just reporting on compliance because it's the easiest way to demonstrate some level of value is you know we're, we're protecting you from a lawsuit because if everyone wasn't compliant there's a large amount of risk in the business and um, but to say you know by running this learning campaign or program we've helped um you know 70 percent of the workforce improve their skills proficiency by two levels that level of granularity and demonstrating impact most organizations don't have. And, and that's to a large part what we do at How Now is help organizations have that conversation. Um, and so I don't necessarily think it's because LD and HR have, have got better at communicating the value. But I think this current situation, there has constantly been a, even pre COVID, uh, you know, that even before we started How Now, you know, governments were pumping money into solving this skills crisis, right? You know, there are countries around the world like Singapore have a brilliant skills future model where they're subsidizing learning to invest in business critical skills that they've identified. And so governments have been pumping money into this and it's been a slow process, but from kind of governments to large organizations, the conversation's been happening and happening. And then I think it picked up momentum with COVID because there is now a question of, Okay, we know change has been coming and it's been happening, but this is almost change overnight. And change overnight almost forces you to ask the questions that you've been keeping on low down on your list. And so what does this change mean for me? What does it mean moving forward? Do we have the skills and capabilities to deal with this? You know, who do we need to hire or what skills do we need to develop? And I think that kind of 
urgency just got ramped up as a result of, of COVID. But so I think it kind of expedited uh, that and, and kind of business leaders have taken it upon themselves to go, how do we not become a blockbuster? And, and how do we kind of future proof this organization, not just in the long term, but even to survive from a, a month to month and next 12 months, you know, we talk about selling remotely is a very different game to people who are doing enterprise sales who are flying around and sitting in meeting rooms, uh, mm. right? You need to now build a relationship and and start to finish close a deal completely virtually. So I think it's changing people's jobs right now. This is not a question of kind of future of work and what's happening in two years. It's changing right now and you need to make sure your people have the skills to be able to do that. And I think that's why business leaders are taking ownership, which is great in general, um, and especially for HR and L&D teams. Yeah. And do you know what? One of the things I've been reading quite a lot about, this isn't a new thing what I'm about to say. I'm going along the automation question now. So just to give you a preemptor, but I've been reading a lot about a lot more about that. I feel in the last six months, nine months, and I feel like it's almost a, it's the productivity question. It's how do we get our people to be thinking more strategically? How do we get them to focus more on the areas of the business that are going to add value? And how can we automate certain tasks? Is there a question in there in terms of a learning and a skills mindset shift? Is that linked into it? And I guess the question that I really want to ask you is how many of the clients that you talk to have been looking at this more seriously, uh, the automation side of automating those workflows? And and are you starting to see businesses say, well, actually, what we need you guys for at How Now is to be reskilling people in, in this other area over here because we're going to be automating tasks that were part of their job before. Are you seeing more of that at the moment? Yeah, so I don't think that the kind of framework of thinking is we're automating this and we need to create jobs for these people so let's reskill them i think that the kind of approach is more we're automating parts of the business that actually raises new challenges within the organization of how we manage things how you manage supply chains logistics etc and now we need new skills to solve these new challenges and then the question is do our people have these skills or not and if they don't, what can we do to make sure they have these skills? And I think it comes from there. So at any given time, I think too often there's 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 a quite a lot of scaremongering around the kind of automation piece. And I often find any news article which kind of uses a robot picture when they're talking about AI, <laughs> it's an article that you should probably just look yeah. at, right? Uh, this is um, you know the iRobot vision of what could happen. And actually, what we should be looking at is there's so much data to say there are actually more opportunities being created than the jobs that are going to be lost. The, the question is, what do those opportunities look like and do you have the skills for it or not? And thinking about perhaps that automation lens from a general technology side in the L&D and talent space, Nelson, in an explosion, I would say, of products and offerings in that space over the past couple of years, and some might argue too much choice, <laughs> actually. So what would your advice be to maybe talent directors or, or L&D directors to help them start to think about the right option for them as they make those decisions around their digital solutions? Yeah, I, I think it's to start with the problem. And too often this doesn't happen. And, and even L&D HR people who say they do, if they're starting from the point of it's a course, what course should it be? Or we're going to run a classroom session, what classroom session it should be? You're not starting with the problem first. You've already told yourself this is the format of what that solution is going to be. And the same thing with technology. If you're starting from the point of I need an LMS or I need a HRS, um, HRS system, then 
you're doing the same thing. You're, you're starting from the product category. Um, and so we encourage, we do this within our team and we encourage this with clients that we work with, is first principle thinking, is to go back to the basic elements of the problem and build up from there. And so that's what we tell organizations to do, is be the expert in the problem. That's what really your job is. Your job is not to spec the solution, right? That, that's what you've got so many vendors and suppliers and consultants, et cetera, out there. You need to be the expert in the problem and, and work from that case. And so you know, when you look at the L&D space, although we feel like we've got hundreds and hundreds of providers, actually there is only one product category that dominates workplace learning, and that's the learning management system. You know, and, and as much as we might talk about new product categories and new ways of doing things, we're still in the early stages. Most companies still have and probably reviewing their existing learning management system. And this is not to say, we're not saying the LMS is dead or redundant for the sake of saying it. It's we're asking organizations to talk about the new problems that they're facing today. And there's three problems we talk about, which straight away demonstrate that the LMS is redundant. And those three problems are this, is if you're trying to upskill and reskill your people, firstly, you need to know what skills you have and don't have in your organization, right? If you're not measuring skills in the same way you're measuring any other business KPI, then how do you know what skills you need to develop? That challenge is not currently solved for by your LMS. So you shouldn't start by looking for an LMS. You should start by a platform that helps you do that. The second thing is once you do measure your skills, you need to be able to connect people with the learning content they need or resources they need to build the skills that matter the most. The problem is learning content lives in hundreds and thousands of different places and exists as online courses, videos, podcasts, blogs, VR, AR. There's so many different formats. So you need something that's going to be able to organize all of that content, pick out what's going to be the most relevant and connect it with people based on their skill requirement. Going back to the LMS, the LMS does not solve for that challenge. Therefore, it's redundant. And the last one is, you know, people are most motivated to learn at their moment of need, right? It's when they need something is when they will go seek, engage and retain what they learn. Um, and therefore, you need to be able to leverage contextual data to identify someone's pain points at that point in time and connect them with the right content at the right time. That challenge, again, is something that's not solved by the, uh, solved by the LMS. So it's not a case of saying the LMS is dead for the sake of it, but it's because this product category no longer solves the challenges that we have within a business. Um, and I think that's the way L&D, HR should look at it, is problem first. Yeah, and, and and I really like that, Nelson, because it echoes a lot with you know the conversations that we have with with HR directors, which is what is your problem and what's the outcome, and then how do you measure that? So that whole kind of end to end piece, I guess. And also, you know, you talk about measuring skills. I guess kind of saying that actually we're talking different fundamentals of the DNA. So LMS solve for one thing, but actually skills are so fundamental to your organisation. That is the starting point. So actually, we need to think about the DNA and how we measure that, develop that and therefore what the solutions are for that, which is kind of flipping, I guess, the old traditional norms on their head in some respects, because you would have started with the, well, I need a learning management system, I need to do these courses, and it develops these skills. But actually, if this is my workforce plan with XYZ skills gap, what's the right way to develop those? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Sure. Yeah. If companies approached it that way, they would find it so much more liberating because you're, you're no longer restricted by the format and you're more you're looking at whatever will drive that impact is what I'm going to go with. And one of the things we tell our clients as an example is audio, 
right, as a format. And companies straight away, whenever they think courses, they always think video courses, right? It's always, let's bring in an instructional designer, knock up a, a SCORM course or shoot some videos, right? But if you stop and ask yourself, okay, why? Is that the best format for this, right? Audio is a great format for multitasking, right? Most of us don't do a lot of our learning and training while at work. We do it outside of work. So, you know, what if you're cleaning your house, you want to plug in this audio course that tells you the core fundamentals of GDPR, for example, right? And then you can go and do your quickfire assessment afterwards. But you would come to that if you started with the, the kind of problem first without being restricted by the format from, from the get-go. And, and I think that impact and, and looking at what will drive the impact and doing what's going to take you the least amount of effort but have the most amount of impact is what you should be prioritizing. It's, it's similar in a way to what you were talking we, We're talking about at the moment with the contact your way, isn't it, Ems, um, in terms of how we want HR teams engage with their fellow uh, employees and doing it in the way in which they want to receive and absorb information. And I say this internally at Lace. So we write a piece of content because we have an idea or a thought piece. And we know that actually people digest information in different ways. It's interesting you were saying about cleaning. Um, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing my cleaning. So Same. that's that's one that's one part of it. If I know I'm going on a half an hour journey in the car, I've got a, uh, a cat at the moment and we're training him not to uh, be a little bit weird in the car. So we get him in the car and drive around for half an hour. I don't want to listen to music. I want to actually learn something. So, you know, I pop something in and I listen to something. I listen to, I don't know, a 15 minute piece from The Economist, for example, because through their app, you can do it. But it's about people learning and absorbing information and it's about businesses being able to deliver that across multi-channel format and i think sort of to, to build on that chris i guess what's just struck me reflecting a bit is i wonder nelson are we talking here about perhaps a mindset shift that's needed in the l and d function so if we're talking about we tend to start with this is i think the solution is x you've already gone down that route because that's always been the way we, we've done things actually to step back and say what is the problem I'm trying to solve? You don't even need to understand L&D talent. You're just a problem solver. And then you can bring in the expert to curate the content or curate the channel, whatever that looks like. I just wonder, are we talking about maybe starting to shake up some of those traditional norms that we see within the skills in L&D itself? Yeah, for, for sure. And I think this, you know, these principles apply across the organization. But I think L&D and HR are probably one of the, the last few teams to go on that transformation journey. And, and you know, a, a comparison's been made between L&D and marketing teams. But I think more so from the perspective of, you know, if you look at marketing teams five years or further back, even before marketing technology became such a dominant product category, it wasn't as analytical and, and technical. We were still talking about, it was still very creative is, is what we would associate with marketing. It was more the kind of positioning and brand, et cetera. Whereas now a large part of marketing are analysts. They're very technical, very data-driven. It's a whole nother skill set that you weren't training for before. And I think that's, you can extrapolate that across the entire organization, right? I, I'm a big believer that you need technologists and data scientists in every part of the business. Whether you hire people for that or whether you train those skills in the people who are in those, you're gonna need that skill set for every part of the business. And, and that will help you optimize things across the organization. And the same thing is true for HR and LD. And so it is a mindset of you know, either acquiring those skills 
and to, to leverage the data to be able to start looking at problems and how you solve those problems. But it also reminds me of a conversation we had before uh, um, is, is also, you know, almost working with other parts of the organization and, and kind of leveraging the other expertise we have in the organization. You know, you, you, you don't necessarily have to be the person who came up with the solution. You just need to really kind of facilitate and, and kind of bring the right people together who can communicate this. And going back to the kind of content example we spoke about, you know, marketing have been doing this for years in terms of content in different formats. You know, talking about what Chris mentioned around audio format. It's like, you know, when you're creating content, you probably reformat it as videos, as text, and, you know, to make sure anyone who wants to take this, consume this content will get it in the format they want. And so that's an easy lesson we could have learned, L&D could have learned from, from marketing. Yeah, just as a quick one, as an aside there, and Ems, I know you've got a question. Um, we will literally take this podcast and turn it into a transcription because we know that people digest it in different ways. So there you go, you've got the audio podcast and then you've got the visual written. But sorry, Ems, go on. No, no, all good, Chris. A slight sort of last change attack from me, maybe, Nelson, just reflecting on a conversation that you and I had um, a week or so ago, because it just struck me as something so interesting that you said to me, um, which was, you know, you've been having conversations with L&D leaders, talent leaders, about how they've started to perhaps use learning as a strategy with their DNI angle and agendas. And I just thought that was fascinating and, and wondered if you might want to share a little bit with those that are listening on today's podcast. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, the kind of knee-jerk reaction that a lot of brands that had early last year was, let's go buy some DNI scoring courses and, and kind of make sure everyone's done this, right? Like that we've, we've, I've heard, you know, all coming from a, a good place, you know, pe people doing a lot of kind of course materials and and, and just buying com uh, employees in their workforce, uh, books written by um, you know, black and ethnic minority writers, et cetera. But what we're seeing is, is more, how do you strategically address this problem? How do you level the playing field in terms of opportunity? Because that's really the challenge here is if we're talking about your career progression is, is stifled because of the kind of who you know, and who you know is is maybe affected by where you're from and what your kind of ethnicity is. And so how do you kind of combat that? And, and that's where L&D is a very powerful tool because L&D at its most effective is equalizing or, or leveling the playing field because it's giving you opportunities to learn and build skills. And if these skills are being measured, then you're being rewarded career progression based on the skills you're gaining as a part of your learning and development. And so L&D is a big, plays a big part in building a diverse workforce where the opportunity to progress in your career is fair for everyone. Um, and and I, it's amazing to see, you know, we've seen some organizations do that. We really hope more and more organizations, rather than looking at L&D in silo, and this is what happens in many organizations where too often it gets siloed as a primary requirement is onboarding and compliance, right? Versus looking at them as, a, as an enabler of every team in the organization. Every strategy within your organization should have an L&D element. Digital transformation, absolutely, right? It should have an L&D component to it. And in the same way, your DNI strategy should have an L&D component to it. How are you going to use L&D to level the playing field, give people the opportunities? That's one way of looking at it. The other one from an L&D perspective is we often think about top-down courses like push learning 
But actually, another one is you've got so many internal experts within an organization who've got knowledge locked up in their brains. And one day they'll leave that organization and all of that will leave with them. Uh, and it's a leaky bucket. But if you created a space where people can easily share knowledge with one another and bring people together so they can support each other in the form of mentoring, coaching, that also helps drive the DNI initiatives that you have. And um, so, yeah, that's what we're seeing. We, we hope to see more of it. Brilliant. So uh, we're just coming towards the end of today's podcast. It's been absolutely fascinating getting your insights, Nelson. Um, I'm going to leave, I'm going to ask you one more question, which is a very open one. I'm going to let you to go in whatever direction that you want with this one. What excites you about 2021? <laughs> Let's be positive. We've had so much negativity over the last year. Yeah. Let's be positive as we say out this podcast. Going away, Chris, is what excites <laughs> me. Is I, I hope I can leave the UK. No, what excites me from... I'm assuming you mean from a future of work, HR. Well, you can do it any direction you want. You can focus on that holiday. Um, I think it's forced people to go back to first principles. And, and like I said earlier, I'm a big believer of first principle thinking. And I think this has kind of thrown everything we think is normal up in the air. And it's given us a, a very long opportunity to kind of critically evaluate and ask ourselves, a lot of the right questions. And I think in 2021, we will see the, the kind of result of asking those right questions. Um, we will see organizations um, challenging what they thought was the status quo and, and kind of really seeing disruption, not just from kind of startups and scale-ups, but seeing disruptions at a large enterprise corporate level. And I think that's exciting for all of us. Um, because we will benefit in one way or another. We'll benefit as customers of brands. We'll benefit as employees of brands um, because that disruption is, is for, I think the net benefit will be positive. So I think there's exciting things to come. Uh, and there's a, I, I believe there's, if, I, if our team is anything to go by, there's a lot of kind of pent up energy and enthusiasm to, you know, come out of this, you know, post vaccines. And once we can go back into, um, offices, whether on a hybrid working level, or to be able to do things with your life and find that balance again. And, and I think that will bring out a lot of creative solutions for problems that we may have had for many, many years, but we'll find some creative solutions this year. So I'm optimistic about what we've got in store. Lovely, lovely. Being able to high five people would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> Elbowing them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Nelson, thank you very much for uh, for coming on today. It's been an absolute joy to hear from you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. And thanks, Ems, Nelson. Thanks, thanks, as always, for being my partner in crime, the duet. The duet. You are my partner in crime. Not my crime mate, but also not the criminal mastermind just yet. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Um, you can listen to this podcast uh, via iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud and on TuneIn as well. Thank you very much for, for joining us, uh, Nelson, once again. And uh, we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye.